So that's uh, Acts chapter 18. We'll be reading from 1 through to verse 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Conrinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of the man named Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptised. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Thanks, mate. Oh, good morning, South Barwon. It's great to be with you. It's always really encouraging to drive just down the road and find another kingdom outpost and find another church which does the good work of the gospel in Geelong. So it's a pleasure to be with you. Official greetings from the hub, if I can say that. Um, thank you for praying for us. We also uphold you in our prayers regularly, and we're excited what God's doing in this city. Uh, this is a one-off message this morning on... Um, Acts 18. Uh, I've actually prepared this message um, for a sending service that we're holding at the hub next week. We have a woman in our church heading off to Ireland to do overseas mission, and we're also sending the hub as a church out into Armstrong Creek. Uh, But I hope that this message will also be a real blessing uh, to South Barwon. I don't know about you, but I often find it really hard to talk about the things that matter the most me. I notice this, I'll go and grab a coffee with a mate and we'll be sitting there and it's easy to talk about the footy and how Richmond trumps St Kilda on Friday night. We can chat about the latest TV shows that we're enjoying or what happened at work last week. But when it comes to talking about the things that are really important to me, the things that are close to my heart, it's a lot harder. I find it's hard to talk about my marriage or my dreams for the future, or my fears, my struggles with mental health, or the people who I love who are struggling. And I've noticed it's not even just with my mates, it's it's often with the people who are closest to me in my life. I'm surprised how easy it is to go on a date with my lovely wife, Shan, and we can spend the whole evening together chatting, and unless we sort of make an effort, we can have very little really meaningful conversation. Maybe you sometimes find this too. Maybe you find that 
the people in your life who are closest to you, the people you see every day, like your parents and your friends and your spouse and your kids, they're actually the ones that we often struggle to have really meaningful and personal conversations with. And I suspect that for those of us here today who are followers of Jesus, this is often true when it comes to talking about Jesus as well. Jesus is the very best thing in our lives. We have a God who loves us and comforts us and promises us hope for eternity. But the crazy thing is that we often find it hard to talk about him to others. We want to. Wouldn't you agree? We really want to tell other people how wonderful God is. But we're often too scared to do it. Something catches in the throat and we choose the easy option. And so I suspect, if you're like me, sometimes you end up feeling guilty about evangelism. You know that you often fail to talk about Jesus, and it's a burden to you. In fact, evangelism can become a burden, and we become daunted by how many people don't know Jesus, and we become discouraged because nothing really seems to change. We want to ask this morning, what do we do when we feel like that? What do we do when evangelism feels like a burden? When we feel guilty because we haven't been talking about the best thing in our lives? What do we do when we've tried and it doesn't seem to achieve anything? Where's God in all of this, we might ask? Well, I've chosen our passage this morning because it speaks directly to this issue. And through these verses, especially verses 9 and 10, Jesus speaks to us. That's what Jesus promises to do here this morning. He promises to speak to us. And he, he shows us that he understands our burdens and our weariness. And he offers us great encouragement in the work of evangelism. Now this encouragement begins with realizing that the work of evangelism is hard. That's the first thing we want to see this morning. The work of evangelism is hard. Our passage begins as Paul, maybe one of the greatest missionaries of all time, walks into the city of Corinth. Now Paul's been away from home for about a year at this point. He's been traveling from city to city, sharing the gospel, and now he comes to Corinth. Corinth is a city of wealth because it's a coastal town which does trade. And Corinth is also known to be an immoral city. As the sailors come in to shore after months at sea, they've been known to indulge in all sorts of immoral and depraved practices. Corinth may actually sound just a little bit familiar to us because it's a society of wealth in which people have rejected God and choose to live however they see fit. And I wonder how Paul would have felt walking into Corinth. He gets off the tram in the center of the city and he looks around him and he thinks, how am I going to share the gospel with these people? Well, we actually know how Paul felt because a little later he writes a letter to the Corinthian church and he says this, when he came to Corinth, he says, I came in weakness and in fear and in trembling. This is... This is Paul that we're talking about here. 
the great evangelist, the church planter extraordinaire, the most famous apostle of the early church, walks into Corinth and he's fearful and he's afraid. He's utterly daunted by the task that lies before him. And he's scared for good reason. Because he walks into the synagogue, he starts preaching, and verse 6 says that they opposed him and they reviled him. He's persecuted and opposed for talking about Jesus. He's giving up his time and his energy, his whole life, to talk about the one that he loves so much. The one that he's come all this way to talk about. And they mock him and they insult him and they want nothing to do with it. And when we read between the lines in this passage, I think it's clear that Paul is discouraged and he's weary. So much so that Jesus actually has to come to him in a vision and say, Paul, keep going. Don't quit. For the last six months or so, Sean and I have had the privilege of meeting with some friends in our home and reading the Bible with them and sharing the gospel with them. This couple have spent hours and hours in our lounge room drinking coffee, talking about God's Word, and we love it. We love them. I've prayed for them so much that God would work in their hearts, and it's been an incredibly encouraging time. It's been such a privilege to share Jesus with them, but I have to confess that over the past few weeks, it's become really discouraging. I've been discouraged because nothing seems to change. Their hearts are still hard. And I've begun asking myself questions like, how long do I keep meeting with them? What went wrong? Was it something I did? I'm sorry. I wonder what discourages you in evangelism. I wonder if you've been insulted or abused. I wonder if you've lost friends or even family because of Jesus. Or maybe you're just frustrated because the work is slower and more difficult than you ever expected. Maybe you're just daunted by how big the task is. Sometimes our frustration ends up being frustration with God. Because we find ourselves asking, where's God in all of this? Now, for some of you, this may not be your experience. You may be speaking about Jesus and loving it and seeing wonderful responses. And if that's you, I rejoice with you and I want to encourage you. Keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. But South Barwon, it's okay to struggle with evangelism. And it's okay to feel weak and daunted. As you walk past a homeless man on the street, as your workmates ask you, what did you get up to on the weekend? And you say, nothing much, just a quiet one. As you chat to another mum at the school pickup, or as you catch up for coffee with one of your best friends, we often struggle to talk about the things that we care about the most. But now I want to show you one of the most amazing things about this passage. Have a look at verses 9 and 10 of Acts chapter 18. 
in this moment, just where we're feeling discouraged and scared, Jesus appears. Jesus appears to Paul in a vision and he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Jesus comes to Paul to encourage him and to remind him that the work of evangelism is ultimately God's work and not Paul's work. This is our second point. We've seen that evangelism is hard work. Now we want to see that evangelism is the Lord's work. Jesus says to Paul, do not be afraid for I am with you. These are beautiful words. They're words that echo throughout Scripture, down through the Old Testament, when God, Yahweh, came to Israel and said, be strong, be courageous, I am with you. They're the words of the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he went up to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How do we persevere in talking about Jesus even when it's hard? What's the antidote to fear? The antidote to fear is the presence of God in our lives. The antidote to fear is the presence of God in our lives. David Livingstone was a remarkable missionary in the 1800s. He was famous for adventuring deep into Africa to share the gospel. As a young man, Livingstone one day got to his knees and prayed, Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever any ties but the ties that bind me to your service and to your heart. And as he prayed, he remembered the words of Jesus. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. After years of strenuous work in Africa... His wife, Mary, and their young kids just couldn't cope with the sickness and the danger. And so they returned to Scotland while Livingston continued the work alone in Africa for a long five years. Finally, many years later, Mary was able to join her husband in Africa and they were excited about the prospect of working together. But on the day that she set foot in Africa... Mary contracted malaria, and a few days later, her husband was burying her in the ground. And as he lay her in the earth weeping, he was heard to pray these words. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again consecrate my life to you. I shall place no value on anything I possess, or in anything I may do except in relation to your kingdom and your service. You see, the antidote to fear is the presence of God in your life. The work of evangelism is hard and it will bring tears 
and fears and pain. But Jesus doesn't call us to anything that he will not strengthen us for. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon used to say that the important thing is not how big the burden is, but who's carrying it. Sometimes when I see kids walking to school on their first day, you can barely see the kid because the backpack's so big. But then that same bag looks pretty small when dad slings it over his shoulder, doesn't it? That's what it's like with God. Our burdens become light and manageable when we give them to him and remember that he's with us. He holds us in his hands and he holds the work of evangelism in his hands. The work of saving souls is his work. The expansion of the kingdom is his kingdom and he is the king. And so evangelism is not a burden that you have to carry. You're not ultimately responsible for the salvation of anyone. Though we love them and we try to show them Jesus. So in this passage, Jesus offers Paul a beautiful encouragement. I'm with you and you won't be harmed. But then he goes on to make an even more remarkable statement. Have a look at the end of verse 10. For I have many in this city who are my people. That's an amazing statement. He says, persevere in your work, Paul, because there are people in Corinth that I have already chosen to save. They're as good as saved. You might not feel like your work's going very well, but it's doing exactly what I intended it to do. And believe me, you're not done yet. What an incredible thought that in Geelong, right now, there are people who have already been chosen for salvation by God and they don't even know it. And God's chosen you to tell them the gospel. God's sovereignty, His all-controlling power, is so immense and so irresistible that He has already determined the fruits of your evangelistic efforts, even now. Ephesians 1 verse 4, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard Paul's message, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How can this be? How can Jesus say with certainty that these people are his before they've even been saved? Well, the answer is because he has already paid the ransom by his blood. Those of you who know me well know that I quite enjoy online shopping. I like to jump on eBay and I like to find exactly what I need at the lowest price with free postage shipped from anywhere on planet Earth. I don't really care. eBay has what I need whether it's a printer cable or a pair of shoelaces or a protective case for my phone, eBay has it for two bucks and I'm happy with that. But occasionally, I make a purchase, I transfer the money, and then months later I think to myself, oh, what happened to that thing I ordered? 
See, sometimes on eBay, the thing that you purchase never arrives in your mailbox. But when Jesus purchases souls through the spilling of his blood on the cross, everything that he purchases is delivered without fail. No one who Jesus died for rejects him. No one who Jesus died for fails to come home. Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What does this mean for us? It means that the result of our evangelistic efforts are out of our hands. And so it means you shouldn't carry the guilt for failing to see a loved one saved. If you're new to church today, what if it was actually God who brought you here today? What if he did it because he wants you to let him into your life? Friends, if the work of evangelism belongs to Jesus, then it means that we should never look at an individual or a suburb or a society or a nation and decide that it's beyond saving. Because we don't know. Who knows how many in Geelong are set aside as God's ransom people? It could be hundreds. It could be thousands. And this leads us to our final point, that the work of evangelism must go on. We've seen that the work is hard. We've seen that it belongs to the Lord. Now we see that it must go on. See in verse 9, Jesus says to Paul, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. This can be translated, speak and keep on speaking. Jesus is calling Paul to persevere, to be in it for the long haul. And verse 11 tells us that's exactly what Paul did. He continued to work in Corinth for another year and a half. And even after that, he continued to write letters to Corinth, letters that speak of pain, of slow growth, of frustration, because the church took a long time to get their act together. Are you persevering in the work of evangelism? Or have you stopped talking about the best thing in your life? It's possible that we may see very little fruit. But here's the thing. We don't have the freedom to decide whether we continue. We don't get to make the call of whether we should keep evangelizing. Yes, we should be strategic in how we do it, but stopping is never an option. South Bowen, you don't get to choose whether you're going to be a missional church or not. You don't get to choose whether you're going to be one of those Christians who's always talking about Jesus. There's wonderful comfort in the sovereignty of God knowing that He's the one who saves, isn't there? But God's sovereignty also gives us great responsibility. Because he has called us to do the work. You have good news. 
You have news that the world desperately needs. And that's why God's called this church and you as an individual to persevere in the work of evangelism. Chuck Swindle once said, it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Or in the words of Spurgeon, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So the question's not if. The question is only how and where. For some of you, God may be calling you to serve him overseas. Even today, he may be placing on your heart that you should do overseas mission. You may have never thought about this before. You may hate the thought about it. You might be in your 20s. You might be single or married, just finishing uni, looking forward to that bright career. You might be in your 30s or 40s at the peak of your career and your achievements. You might be in your 50s or 60s wondering what the next 25 years looks like. You might even be in your 70s or 80s and God's challenging you to redefine what retirement in the West looks like. Have you ever stopped to ask whether God is calling you to share the gospel in another part of the world? Because it needs to go to every tribe and language, and people, and nation. For others of you, God has placed you already exactly where He wants you. God's put you where you are in accordance with His sovereign will, and He's done it for a reason. He's put you in your family, with your friends, in your school, or university, or workplace. And He's done it for a reason. So what would it look like to be doing evangelism right here in Geelong? As we draw to a close, I just want to quickly run through three practical ideas that come out of this passage. First of all, speak the word. Jesus says, go on speaking and don't be silent. By all means, live out the gospel through loving actions, through hospitality and generosity through friendships. This is so important. But don't stop there. Be sure that you don't leave out the life-giving words of Jesus. You have good news. Is it time to bite the bullet and have that conversation? Second, be strategic. Paul chose to preach the gospel in Corinth, one of the biggest cities at the time. He knew that it was a city full of needy people, the homeless and the sick and the lonely. And he knew that from the bustling marketplaces and coffee shops of the city, it would spread out into the countryside, across the seas to all the nations. He was real strategic in where he shared the gospel. The same is true today. We need... Christians and churches to be living and working in the hard places. I wonder how can you be strategic in your evangelism? Are there opportunities maybe in your workplace or your school or your neighborhood where you can get involved? 
we can start living out the gospel and finding opportunities to speak about Jesus. Elders of South Barwon, home group leaders, kids ministry leaders, are you thinking about how South Barwon can be missionally strategic? Lastly, do it as a community. Did you notice the first thing Paul did when he got to Corinth? He immediately went and found some Christian friends, Aquila and Priscilla. And then shortly after that, his own team joined him, Silas and Timothy. In my experience, evangelism is incredibly hard to do on your own. Over the past year, I've been so blessed to be part of a community group where every week we meet together and almost every week we ask each other how it's going. We pray for each other's evangelistic efforts. We pray for our unbelieving friends. Is your home group doing this? Is it something that you should start doing, maybe? So three practical ideas. Speak the word. Be strategic. And do it as a community. If you don't identify as a Christian this morning, then maybe the sermon's been a little bit like a backstage pass, like a behind-the-scenes look at what excites us as Christians. See, the reason we've preached on this is because we believe Jesus really is wonderful news. And we think it's really important to wrestle with how we tell others about him. And I'd love to invite you to wrestle with this as well. Choosing to follow Jesus will totally change your life. Some of it will be harder. It will change your relationships with your friends and family. But I promise it will be the best decision you ever make. Because Jesus will be with you and you'll be safe in his arms forever. South Bowen, the work of evangelism is hard and you know it. This morning, Jesus wants to encourage us. He calls us to look to him, the king of the church, the Lord of the mission, the saver of souls. He's not daunted by the challenges that you face. He's not surprised by how many people were rejecting the gospel. But rather, in the midst of it, he is softening hearts and he is turning evil to good and he is using you to do it. So in closing, I want to urge you to pray. Tomorrow morning, as you start your day, as you start your week, would you pray that Jesus would give you opportunities to share the gospel? Pray that you would see these opportunities and go for it. That you would speak and not stop speaking. And I think you'll be amazed at how he answers your prayers. So be encouraged. The work of evangelism is his work. And he's going to use you and me to bring it to completion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for coming to Paul in a dream and giving him this vision. Thank you that you promise him your presence and your comfort and your strength. Lord, we often find evangelism is hard and we can be tempted to give up and we can be tempted to ask how much longer do we have to do this? But Lord, we pray that you would give us a new strength and a new joy 
and that it would come from you. And we pray that you would use us powerfully in this city. We pray that you would do amazing things in Geelong. We pray that you would save thousands. And we pray that it would be for your glory. Amen.